Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. We are the Sacred Collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. All right, welcome to another edition of the Sacred Collective, and we're going to do a roll call. So, let's just go to the left. I'm Caleb. I'm Angela. I'm Jay. I'm Kayleen. I'm Joshua. And we're here tonight to talk about... Demons. Conjure up some demons tonight. Um, <clears throat> no, I wanted to talk about demons, but personal demons. Um, type of things that we all have to deal with. Um, for me, my personal demons are depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of me, like, I was like, I wasn't dealing with that tonight. I was like, oh, I was feeling a lot of anxiety tonight as I was driving over here. I was just like, oh, I just want to pull over pull the car over and just sit and decompress but you know um, there's still life lived that has to be lived and jobs that have to be done and relationships and kids and background music all has to be lived out and what do we do when we're dealing with our demons and we're dealing with the darkness of our own lives and uh, how do we deal with that and do we deal with it in relationships or do we deal with it in, I mean I go to a psychiatrist and I've sought out therapy for it um, but it still affects what I do and sometimes that you know I bring it to the table and uh, try to be transparent with it as a pastor but it's hard because sometimes you just feel like shit and you don't want to you don't want to do anything you know or it's hard to try to encourage other people or tell other people that their lives are going to be good or there's secret messages of Jesus or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's really tough. So I just wanted to open up and see what you guys thought about that and we can take it any way you want it. Actually, Angela brought something up to me today. Um, she just came up to me and asked me if I felt trapped. And my answer was every, oh, yes, <laughs> all the time. Um, whether it's trapped in you know, capitalism or trapped in money like Money is a huge stress for most mm-hmm. people in our society, yeah. and it sucks that we even have to use it. But we, yeah. I mean, you can opt out. Uh, it's so hard that it's almost impossible, especially if you have if you're married, have kids, have a job, have bills, have a mortgage, have normal stuff that most normal people have in America. Have a car, you know, have a family. Mm-hmm. Like you, pretty much have to be part of it. And I feel trapped all the time, in whether it's jobs or education or. You know, in college or even sometimes in relationships. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be at like a, I, this is my second marriage, so I got to like choose my partner very carefully. And I feel like that is one of the parts of my life that I don't have that issue in, but a lot of my friends do. You know, that they're in bad marriages, they're in bad jobs, and they just keep doing the same thing over and over because they feel stuck. And so I totally relate. Like, and it's, I've resonated as well saying how am I supposed to tell other people they should be happy when I'm like most of the time I just want to be like it'd be fine if I didn't wake up tomorrow right <laughs> you know yeah. like I don't feel like I like I'm not going to actively harm myself but would I really be upset if like tomorrow was it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that sounds super dark and, and deep but I mean it almost feels bad, too, because I feel like our society pushes us to, well, you're doing pretty fine compared to starving people in mm-hmm. this country or in that Worst country. Like, you don't have cerebral palsy or, you know, you don't have ALS. You know, you should be doing pretty good. You're like, now I even feel worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for putting that on me. Now I'm a piece of crap. Yeah, yeah right. I care about horrible people. Person <laughs> now. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like our culture, that we don't like to talk about it, and I think we should. <clears throat> I think we need to, and we should definitely be in a spot where we don't feel afraid to talk about it. You know, but too often times we are in those places where we're afraid to talk about stuff, and we 
or we just don't want to talk about it or we feel like we can't talk about it, especially in ministry stuff like you were saying. We're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to have everything together. We're have to, supposed to have all of the answers about God and life. And, you know, that's why when pastors fall, they fall super hard. Yeah. Because those things there's that expectation that it's perfect and i think that if we were able to live our lives transparently which is hard believe me i don't live my life transparently as much as i would like to we we're never open enough with with each other because our our culture puts us in a separation mode we live in a culture that's sec- that's well segregated but that's not beside the point that's not where i was going with that we live in a culture that where individuality matters more than the group and that's why there's so much disconnect sometimes one of the reasons not all of it but sometimes that happens and it can be really hard detrimental for people when they don't have those connections another big thing i felt when i was in the evangelical evangelical community um i have a lot of mental health Issues hereditary in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have depression, anxiety, and panic disorder, um, which I take regular medication for. Um, but in the evangelical community, there was huge stigma about taking medication. Yeah. So um, when I would get my prescriptions filled and then take my anxiety medication... You know, I would go to church and be like, the only thing you need is this spirit. And, you know, anything else is holding you back and stuff, you know. And then I would feel that. I would come home and in one dramatic display when I was in my early 20s, when I was extra, I guess, uh, I took all of my pills and flushed them down the toilet and was like... Lord, <laughs> a, grand <laughs> a grand gesture to my trust in the Lord, and um, the next couple weeks were hell yeah, because right. I was coming off my SSRs, which is uh, something that helps your chemical imbalance in your brain. So I had huge migraines, uh, panic attacks, twice, three times a day. Um, went to my doctor who was very upset with me <laughs> who, because she said why aren't you taking your Selexa and I said the spirit was going to heal me Jesus. and you could just see her face looked like a deflated balloon oh. <laughs> like, uh, and you know she gave me a huge Lecture about how we should not have any shame in taking medications, and you could tell the poor woman she wasn't a Christian, but she was trying to frame it in Christianity because she knew I was super evangelical. And she's like, "God gave us people to discover medication." That's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, "If God wants you to use." tools to help you and your tool is your medication like and then you know eventually went your bible (laughs) eventually i obviously went back on my selexa and i've been taking it ever since and it's something that works for me and i always have like a little like emergency pill case of xanax because you never know when you're gonna have a panic attack and it's it's really, nice it's really annoying because a lot of people think you only get panic attacks when you're stressed out. No, they happen anytime. They happen anytime. You could be doing anything normal, anything. and then all of a sudden you can't breathe, and yep. it sucks because you feel like you're going to die. Yep. And yeah. so it's nice to even just have that in the back of my mind that like I have a little, and I even went, <laughs> I even went on Etsy and got like a cute little pillowcase, <laughs> <laughs> like. Because I was like, I, there shouldn't be any shame in it. Like, mm-hmm. and I always have to like have it wherever I go, and it's like an inhaler. Like, if someone's allergic to bees, they always have to have the EpiPen. the EpiPen with them. So, I mean, I I want to thank my doctor <laughs> for being so sweet to me when I was being such a petulant child. But yeah, I don't think I think evangelical culture definitely should not 
shame people taking medication for things that they need and depression is so much more than cheer up and you know god loves you why aren't you happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's so much more than that and people shouldn't be ashamed for it my mom has depression and anxiety so i've been dealing with that for my whole life same and the the pills were never dear god when she take when she's off of her pills it can be really hard yes and so xanax is as my friends yeah when she takes it it calms down and it makes things better yep. and that's the point mm-hmm. and i never felt i never grew up in a place where there was any anxiety or shame about it because she was always like this is the way it is this is normal i have depression and anxiety i'm taking these pills it's fine you know so i and i guess it was always just a normal thing for me so i never had any real shame around it but then when i had to start taking medication that was harder for me yeah there was always shame attached Mm -hmm. because my mom struggles with a lot of mental health and she has to take a a whole cocktail of pills and there's always a ton of shame attached to it so i was always growing up in that you know you know I'm so embarrassed no one you know if people came over the house she would always hide all her pills and it's like this big thing of put on the face Mm. and you know shame is kind of part of the disease too yeah oh yeah shame spirals and oh yeah those are real yeah yes I'm on medication as well and I've dealt with the same thing just not even worried about what other religious people think but just people in general or or just yeah I mean I, I have to carry emergency pills too because I have really bad panic attacks yep and uh, it's nice to hear other people talk about having them because sometimes you feel like yeah. am I the only person am I just crazy I you know I just started uh, having Xanax available like eight months ago maybe and it, just knowing that I have it helps. But I had, yeah. a, I had a full-blown panic attack last Friday right before, like, one of the busiest times of my job. And it was because everyone was pulling me in, like, 50 different directions at the same time. And I kept hearing, Joshua, 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 Joshua. And all of a sudden, like, I looked down and I felt like I couldn't breathe at all. Uh-huh. And, like, I started to go dark a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, like, realized that, like, I need to take one right now. And luckily I, like, ran out of the situation, grabbed one, you know, put it in threw it back and then waited like 10 minutes and I was just like went to my boss and said hey I just had a panic attack <laughs> I need 10 minutes and she was like well you can leave if you want to I'm like I'm pretty sure I'll just let the medication work and it did but I mean that feeling so suffocating mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it's like you want to die like I well, said and, and, and you feel so helpless yeah you know? it's just it's mm-hmm. so out of your control it and is. it feels like someone's pulling you out of yourself mm-hmm. like I don't know I didn't deal with this but uh the idea of uh, Alice in Wonderland going through the, the looking glass yeah. like the author said that was what his migraines were like mm-hmm. that's what that's him describing uh, his migraines oh, going through that, that being pulled through this thing where you can't do anything and that's oh. how he described his, his intense pain of being having these migraines mm-hmm. and like when I've had panic attacks it just feels like I'm not in control of my body anymore yeah, yeah. the first time I had when I collapsed in a, in a cooler actually um and I couldn't breathe, and I felt like I had smoke inhalation, even though there's no smoke. But I remember that my chef at the time, like, picked me up. He was a really big guy, 6'7", he's from New Jersey. And he, he picked me up, and he was like, he like, carried me out of the cooler, and he was like, you're going to be fine, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he set me down on, like, a prep table and was just like, just chill out, take a couple breaths. And I was like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh the first God. time I had one was in a woman's bathroom at college, and... I collapsed and hit my head on the door. And then some poor girl came in and saw me sprawled out underneath Mm -hmm. that. She was probably like, someone's having too much fun last (laughs) night. So then I went to the nurse, yeah. But it's it's more frustrating to me having panic attacks when I'm not stressed out. Like, the last big panic Mm -hmm. attack I had was I went to a show at 7th Street Entry. And it was a show I'd been looking forward to for months. The band White Reaper. They're great. You should all listen to them. Um, And they put on an amazing show. And I was just standing there, like, waiting for the band to come on, chilling in the back, totally fine. And then all of a sudden, it was like the, you know, 
the tunnel of vision gets closed. And I had, like, you need to run to HCMC now because you're going to die. Like, that's, like, the one thought those... And I'm just, like, standing there with my beer. And then I'm, like, looking at the stage. I'm like, I want to see the show. I can't run to HCMC right now. (laughs) And, you know, and I'm just, like, trying to sit there and breathe. And so, luckily, I had my Xanax and was able to pop it with my beer, which probably you shouldn't do. <laughs> um, but then I was able to enjoy the show. So it's, it's. I mean, I get them when I'm stressed out too, but just the most annoying thing is when you get them when you're just grocery shopping or waiting to see a band. Or yeah, it's I, just something irritating like that. I get them too when, I, when I'm supposed to be doing stuff with my family. You know, yeah. it's just like no moments where you're like supposed to be normal and having a good time. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and I just feel like all of a sudden pressure just mm-hmm. overcomes me. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're gonna screw this up. Oh. You're gonna have a panic attack, and the panic attack is like, I'm here, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Thanks for letting me in, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things that definitely, man, it happens the most. Inopportune times. I mean, not that there is an opportune time for panic attacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this would be a great time for <laughs> But, yeah. yeah. But I feel like depression is almost like the other side of that coin. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm just depressed because, not just because of the news, but, like, <laughs> that's a huge source of anxiety and, like, depression. But, like, just think about what's actually going, like, the injustice that's actually happening in the world and the weight of that. Mm-hmm. Just feels so happy to me, and mm-hmm. it's like so. Like if like if you go to parties, like what do you want to talk about? I'm like I'd like to talk about the crippling depression. <laughs> like, ah, I had fun at the Twins game. <laughs> I can't go to Twins games. <laughs> yeah, he's a lot of fun at parties. <laughs> yeah. So we have this party. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so what do you think about it? You've been quiet so far. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just thinking about the connection between all this and and your demons. It seems like a lot of us have like the same kind of demons, um, namely anxiety and depression. You know, um, and then I'm just kind of wondering, like I think demon, uh, you know, demons and the idea of possession is a powerful idea, even just you know poetically. Yeah. And being like having like a monkey on your back almost, like having something clinging onto you, being possessed by something, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and then you're also, I think, clinging back onto that thing yeah. in response a lot of times, I think. Mm-hmm. And learning to let go of certain things. It's not that you're going to erase all your genetics or like you, now you got Jesus, you don't need your pills anymore <laughs> or something yeah. like yeah. that. But he'll flush in the pills in the toilet. Because <laughs> it's like a sacrament. Like, yeah. I feel like anxiety and depression, at least in America, is more prevalent than it used to be. And I, I think it's because we've gotten to a point where, for generations, everyone just pretended and it was okay. Mm. Like, all our parents yeah. and our grandparents just put on this facade of this is what a man's supposed to be, this is what a woman's supposed to be, this is what a family is. And as that facade's slowly broken apart, being like, well... Why can't a father be more generous towards his kids or be more show be more, yeah, be more like the mother type or mm-hmm. stay at home dad or all these cracks started to show and people said, Holy shit, everyone's pretending. <laughs> and no one has the answers. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, when you were talking earlier, I was in a meeting with uh, with people at work and I wrote down Pretending is neat <laughs> because everyone was trying to pers- like per- portray themselves in a really particular light, and I was like, everyone here is just pretending it. And yeah, like, I think maybe people who are this is going to sound mean, but have more integrity, or people who are trying to be the truest to themselves, possibly be like, I feel like I'm pretending too, and it almost feels like at any moment someone's going to call your bluff. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's a good. One. It's like the Truman Show. Kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, what do, what do you cross, like, what you identify with, like, where's the line that you cross into, I'm legit now? Like... But then you're pretending to be legit. <laughs> then you're te- pretending to be legit. Like, when I was, you know, in my 20s, I was like, I'm the most <laughs> punk rock motherfucker ever. <laughs> you know, and what... <laughs> but I'm still a Christian... 
Punk rock for Jesus. Um, like where, and that's a whole another Straight podcast edge. in itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where does the line cross into when you become? I finally, I'm finally legit. I think it's like, arbitrary because it's, there's is no line. That's the when I graduated from high school, it didn't. I didn't really feel any different than anything else. When I graduated from college, I didn't really feel different. When I got ordained, it was right, like right. all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, this is legal now. But I, <laughs> I don't feel anymore endowed by the spirit or whatever. Right. You know? And then like going through seminary and getting that degree, and it's like, so you have the degree and now you're capable. And it's like, no, you're not. You're still you. You still have all right. those stupid traits you have. You still like all the things you like. You still have your quirks. You still, you know, think something's really funny and all your friends are annoyed at you because you think it's funny. You, know, you still have all these faults and characteristics right. about you. But I think, like, being a pastor, for sure, is one of those things that was kind of the high mark, you know? And we've seen so many pa- I mean, pastors have been falling for, you know, since as long as the church has been around. Yeah. You know, we just forget about it. Um, and then, then we have the big falls and the small falls and in-betweens, but the pastor is still, at least in America, one of those places that's still pretty respectable. Right. People still see pastor and they still think, probably going to help. You know, maybe that's like the bottom, like probably, <laughs> probably going to help. Yeah. You know, but even if it's that, good. that's way better than probably going to hurt me or don't want to talk to this person or mm-hmm. scary situation. But like still being able to say probably going to help is a pretty good place to be at. I think. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people will hear the word priest or pastor and still think that way. And still think like probably, probably wants to help. Maybe misguided, but they're like, yeah, but like wants to do something. Right. Helpful. More likely to, to help you change a tire or something than a professional gangster. For <laughs> The old Sopranos uh, tension between the priest and the gangster. You guys ever seen Sopranos? <laughs> I've seen it. I've, I've never seen never it. mind. I never mind. Deep cut. I get what you mean. <laughs> but <laughs> I think a lot of the like the mega churches. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I think a lot of the mega churches that I've been to in the Twin Cities promote this weird aspirational Christianity to like. The pastor is so cool. He and his <coughs> wife are so mm. cool. They have the best marriage. They're so funny. They live in this awesome big house. <laughs> uh, their kids are so well behaved. And they're four and years old and already have full scholarships to MIT. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, if I just trust enough, I could be like that cool EDM guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, he has the coolest clothes. He and his wife are always laughing and hugging and you know, like, I just see, I saw so many people, like, even in their 20s, looking up to this pastor and being like, man, I'll mm. really be blessed by right. God once I get to his level. And it's like, oh. And I also think, too, one of the, no. the hard parts about that that reinforces the pretending is pastors can't do a lot of things that other people can, like, pastors can't just say whatever they want. Right. They right. kicked yeah. out of their churches. Right. Or they'll get Truth. fired. Yeah. And um, it's not, not all pastors, but pastors, yeah. the, a lot of the clergy that Hashtag I know. not all pastors. Yeah. A lot of the clergy that I know, like, they love to be able to talk about things they can't talk about their congregation in a setting they know is private. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, they'll come over for dinner and just talk and, you know, be able to say whatever they want and they know it's not going to leave. And not that what they're saying is so deplorable that it would leave, but it's just like, <laughs> there's no way that every pastor right. likes every person in a congregation. Mm-hmm. That's just not possible. No, it's not true. You they can't love everybody. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't have to act like it, but right. you have well, to be cordial. It's expensive. I definitely have clients that they know that if they if they ask, if they were drowning, I'd throw them a barbell. Uh-huh. Like, that's how, <laughs> that's how mean these Ooh. people are, you know what I mean? They know that, but if they ask for you anything know. reasonable, I will get it for them. I will, of course, if they're using food shelf or coming for lunch, they get it no matter what, no questions asked. But if they want something extra that, you know, or they want to be treated a certain way, they know they're not coming to me. Because right. they know they burn that bridge. You know, and it's not because, oh, that person's smelling, he has stink lines on him. You know, it's because they're generally a pretty nasty person who has, I've seen belittle other people or be a problem or someone who's like, if you went even this much further, you'd be removed from the situation, maybe in handcuffs. Right. You know, so it's those sorts of people. Like, and I, it's, I think it's better that they know where I stand than I'm pretending. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, of course.
just come on in. Right. You know? Good, Dozam. Yeah. Would you like a program? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. How was your, how was your meal? I hope it was good. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> if we can help you with food shelf or if you need <laughs> to make an appointment, please, please let us know. But it's, that's, it's as cordial as it can be. Mm. I'm not going to pretend and not going to be like, you know what? If you hadn't punched my friend in the face last week, we'd probably be really good friends. <laughs> yeah, why pretend? And I feel like a lot of a lot of evangelical churches, for sure, that pastors have to pretend like mm-hmm. you know the, the permanent creepy smile that I just immediately distrust. Hey, right? Roger! Oh, the kids, they know Roger's a huge <laughs> like I don't know. I've just seen that so much that. It's just so insincere, and if you go to a new church, someone comes up to you, Hey, what's going on? You have a tattoo? Whoa! Like, it's like a kid's TV show, like, you should come to a small group. It's super rad. Like, you know, and I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm an adult. Like, you can talk to me. Like, it's just, it's just so... It sounds like like a used car salesman to me. You two like, probably no money down. Come to your right. small group. Get you some Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You two probably have the most experience in like pastoral work. Yeah. Um, how difficult do you find to talk about other people's demons? Like, do you, do you use yourself as an example, or is that something where there's a there's a wall there that you can't? You. For me, it depends on the situation, especially, oh, sure, yeah. especially in pastoral care and chaplain situations. We definitely, when you go through the, the pastoral care training, definitely we are taught that it is more about the person that we are ministering to rather than us, unless we feel like some sort of antidote would be an, an important thing to help build rapport or help them see that oh, what I'm feeling is normal or it's not, you know, it's okay or whatever because you always have to be aware of what you bring to the table. You have to be aware of your feelings, your crap, Mm. whatever it is and whatever it is that that person is saying to you that's triggering whatever crap inside of you you have. You have to be very Mm. aware of that. And when you're doing chaplain training, I I used to do write-ups of my visits where here's what was said, here's what I was thinking and feeling when this was being said. And we, and then everybody would analyze it. And yeah, people, yeah, that was fun. Okay, anyways, um, so, some days it was more fun than others. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so for me, I'm always aware, what do I bring this to the table? What is appropriate? What's not appropriate? What boundaries do I need to have? How much do I need to get involved? And when do I need to take a step back? And with my friends, I don't do that. But when in ministry situations, I have to, because if I don't have boundaries, if I don't have that, I will get in too deep and I will make something or I will say something that's inappropriate or I will put myself in a situation that is potentially dangerous because I have done that. And let me tell you, those potential situations are very dangerous and sometimes scary and very uncomfortable. (sighs) Sometimes it can get really crazy, you know, so... I don't know. What about for you, Jay? I mean, I, I feel like you have a very different type of yeah, ministry than I have had because mine has mostly been in a hospital setting and with specific boundaries and, and specific ways of being. And I chose that on purpose because of that. Because there were specific... There's a boundary. I go home <laughs> unless I'm on call yeah. and I get woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning because somebody's dying and that's what happens. That's different. But... With your kind of pastor, that's a twenty four seven thing. Yeah, you, you you know you're. It's not like you're on call and then somebody dies and you have to go in. You have to make a decision. Is this something I need to respond to right now? Is what's going on with my family? You know, those are much more harder decisions. I feel like. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's, it's changed over the years. You know, there's yeah. been times where I've had it's to a be, different expectation. Yeah, you know, when I was didn't have kids I could be I was fully engrossed in people's lives just like drop of a hat I was there you know that's what I lived for you know (laughs) um get a you know call in the middle of the night and I'd be driving somewhere in the middle of the night looking for some runaway kid or sitting with a parent or Mm -hmm. you know something like that um but as, as I've Minnesota is also a different beast. 
Yeah. So yeah. Beeline is personal very, fear. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know? a very different thing. It that, that that whole like It's so strange cuz I feel like I, I see my, you know, congregation members, I see them once a week and I don't often hear from them very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like there's no like I need to talk to you about this, or I need to, you know. It's just Where else like, have you ministered? Like, in what other... In New York, okay. in Atlanta. Oh, in Atlanta, I'm sure it was very different. Yeah, it was, yeah it was really different. Yeah, it's more relational there, it's I'm guessing. Super relational. Yeah. And so it's just, it's 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 different, you know. I think one of the things that, if I can take the having a darkness or the demons or whatever in a positive way, is that that's allowed me to be really transparent. Mm-hmm. with people I think I carry a certain amount of darkness with me that's just there and I can't help yeah but show it you know what I mean I can't help but like on Sundays be like I'm tired mm-hmm. you know I was up all week with my camp all night with my kids last night you know I'm going through this that, I'm going through DBT mm-hmm. I'm going through you know what I mean I talk about like the counseling and my therapy and um I don't know if I talk about my medication a lot, but that's not on purpose. It's just, um, it probably hasn't come up that much. And that might be a lack of professional training, too. <laughs> but, I, you know, I just I try to be as transparent with mm-hmm. with people as possible. Yeah. And uh, it's tough. It's, it's a tough, it tough. It's really tough. It's, um, it's like you're in a fishbowl. Very much like being in a fishbowl, or everybody's watching you, and everybody's, you know, even in my own ministry setting, sometimes people would be like, they didn't even want me at the table because of what I did, and I'm like, no, seriously, I'm a part of this. I have a unique perspective to bring. Let me, you know, because yeah. sometimes people's emotions—that's why they're sick. Let's think about that. Let's think about what's going on underneath. Why do they think that? Why do they feel that? What's there? Yeah. That's part of my job is to figure out what's going on there emotionally and spiritually. Totally. And some hospital settings are really open to that and others are not. Mm. So it kind of depends on, you know, what's going on. But I don't know. I picked that on purpose because I knew that I have a tendency to get a little bit too involved yeah. sometimes and to allow myself to get sucked in. And that, sometimes that's okay. But sometimes it's really not. Yeah. And it's hard to know where that line is. And it really is. And, yeah, it really, really is. Yeah, working with our clients, we live in the same neighborhood we work in, so we've had clients show up at our door before. Oh, wow. Oh, and, like, ask for money and stuff like that. Oh, um, it hasn't res- happened too often, but it is really and My, res- my response is, do you know how much we get paid? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough. To, we don't have anything to give you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but... That's yeah. I feel like it's funny because we talk about like oh pastors like this and pastors and pastors' wives, but then we you know we have a chaplain and a, and a pastor right here at the table. We're talking about this like it's like some foreign thing, mm-hmm. but I think yeah, it is interesting because I would say that even what like Angela and Joshua do is ministry in, in it a sense. Very much, it is, very you know, much like so. even if that's not more how so. you guys would define I, yeah, it. I would. I, like, I you're out there watching. <laughs> Washing the shit cakes off people's feet in the front, you know, the front line of the battle. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, things can get real corny and plasticky real quick, but I think that it's worth pointing out there's people, I think, doing it maybe a little bit closer to the right way or a little bit more purely. I wish we could do what we do without the institution we work for. Because I feel like they're doing what we talked about before. They're worshiping the well. And not the water, right? It's so like the busiest time of our. The most people we bring into the building is for our lunch program and for food shop by far. Their church brings in about thirty people a week. That's a big. That'd be a big service for them. Yeah. And they spend all their time and energy worrying about the music and worrying about slides mm-hmm. and worrying about mm-hmm. the sermon. And five days a week, they have over two hundred people in the building every day, and they don't. They're not even involved in it. You know, and it's just, it just seems like Strange. it seems like they're focusing all this energy on something they really want to happen, and they're forcing it to happen. But they've got all this other stuff that's just happening that people are just showing up that are you know coming into our building, and not I'm not saying they should try to convert them while they're doing that <laughs> stuff. But I mean, they should. 
if they want to help the community, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And even in, we had a meeting today, and they were saying that I think the best things we do for the community is the lunch program, the food shelf, and food distributions. Mm-hmm. But all the people who are in charge of the ministry aspect are never there for those events. No. Oh, wow. And yeah. that's so they don't get to see it. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I remember one time we had a huge fight in the middle of lunch, and I had to run out and physically stand between these two guys. And they're screaming at each other. And, like, I finally, I just let them talk. You know, they talked it out. And one of the guys said something so funny, I almost I almost chuckled. He's like, well, why don't you just call homicide right now? <laughs> and I was like, okay, do sure, But then I, just... <laughs> I went through the building and looked for any of my supervisors. And everyone had gone to lunch except me. Wow. It was before Angela Gone out there. to lunch. Gone like, out to lunch. Even oh, though we yeah. have free lunch there, everyone was gone. So I was the only staff member in the building. And there was about 200 clients in the building. Oh, wow. And so how's one staff member Whoa. supposed to, you know, deal with this? Like, so, if you had a big, huge fight breakout, like, no, you'd be yeah. in so many words fucked. Yeah. Like. SOL. That could escalate SOL, quickly. for sure. And, yeah. I mean, he's a, a large, white male. Like, <laughs> with me sitting at the front desk, like, I just had an incident today where... A man gra- forcibly grabbed my hand to kiss it. Oh my god! And like, Gross. and I mean, the joys of being a woman—you're always on display Ugh. for the male gaze, and you know that's a part of my job where people come in. You look so good today. Uh, uh, you know, oh. like, and Excuse I've me. never had. You know, and you just give those guys like a death stare so they don't say it again but I've never had someone forcibly right invade grab my body to do something Mm -hmm. and like when I brought it up in the meeting like the higher ups are just like oh yeah we should do something about that (laughs) blank stare blank blank like you know it's so I mean they're tucked like back in their nice offices and I'm out front the first line of defense for people who come in and it's like this huge disconnect of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know oh I'm worrying about the powerpoint on Sunday and like I'm worrying about our staff and the other clients and that's why I wish we could do what we're doing without the gaze of the organization we work for Yeah, I don't have anything bad to say about them I just feel like they're trying to be something they're not and they're overlooking what they are and so, like, the water they already have, they're ignoring, and they're just like, look, this well's so nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that's a good game. Yeah. yeah. That's a good game. That's too yeah, bad. Yeah, was weird. Well, it is, too. It's, it's frustrating because it'd be, we constantly struggle getting volunteers to come in, even though there's plenty of people in the Twin Cities who want to help out. But every time they try to connect, it's like, oh, sorry, I missed your 15 phone calls, and I didn't call you back because I was busy. <laughs> you can't. How much do you expect? Because if I was going to volunteer at right. a church, for example, I'd probably make three or four phone calls and I'd give up if I yeah. didn't get any response or yeah. send out an email. And if I didn't get anything back in a week or two, I'd just be like, well, I guess I don't want my help. You mm-hmm. know? I, and I, I get it. I understand that. You know, yeah. reject, rejection, even at that place where you're not even in a relationship, still is like, fine, I don't care. Like, I, don't, I need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Do you think. So. How does church, like a typical church setting, how does that interact with other people's demons? Do you think that they're on display? Or do you feel like you're sort of, in your church specifically, you're sort of the... Kayleen's <laughs> shaking her head, and I agree. The, the best, <laughs> kind of the best way to put their anxieties on you. I was just in a waiting way. until he was done, but yeah. <laughs> no, I saw it and I was like, she's doing what I'm doing. Inside. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, people, people can go to church... And they don't have to be on display because everybody there's other people that are on display for them. Or, Bingo. And or in instead of them or whatever, you know, especially if it's a if it's a church where there's like this big display thing going on where it's like a rock concert or something. Totally. People can just show up. Can be very passive. Mm-hmm. They can be. And that's why some of those churches are so huge, because you can be very passive. Yes. And then they can still mm-hmm. complain about how their budget is not being met. Mm-hmm. Like when I, so when we left that church we went to last week, I just felt like, why would I ever come back? There's nothing life-giving about it. There's nothing, I didn't get anything from the message I didn't or interact community. with a single human, I didn't get except it. for the guy holding the door being like, 
morning, morning, morning. <laughs> morning. Like, that was the only interaction I had. And, His I mean, name tag. right, hello, my name is Dan, Dan or Roger or whoever. Um, and, I mean, as someone who's not a regular churchgoer, the one thing I do miss about church is the community. And going to a big church like that where you just sit down and have things happen to you <laughs> instead of interacting. Like, on, I felt like things were happen, happening to me like someone was up there and they were projecting down. Mm-hmm. Whereas I miss having, like, the side-to-side, right. <clears throat> you know, we're all in this together. Communal. Right, the mm-hmm. communal aspect of it and the church I used to go to was very small yeah yours was, that's what I was going to say your community was unique because you had a big small group that actually hung out together outside of church yes. you didn't just have like church and then mm-hmm. Wednesday Bible study you had a church community where lots of people lived in the same place together yep they had a lot of communal housing and you know if they had like a Halloween party or like a movie night most of the people lived in the same house anyway so you would just go over and you would know pretty much everyone and I mean living in a community house myself in Golden Valley like it was very much like you can't you can't be uh, hiding stuff when you're living <laughs> with people in the house like everyone oh, yes, knew, knew. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, it depends on how much effort you want to put there. Yeah. That's true. I was very private. I was like the mom of the house. Like, everyone was younger than me. And I was always the one. Like, I worked a nursing home job, so I was up at, like, 5 a.m. getting ready. So I was always the one. If there were, like, bands practicing in the basement at, like, 2 a.m., I would step down the stairs. <laughs> I gotta get up! You know, and shake my fist and go back upstairs. So I was very much the the grumpy mom of the house but still I mean it's hard to hide who you really are mm-hmm. in a right. housing type setting so everyone knew you know everyone's business mm-hmm. and that's it can be good, good and, and it can be bad. good <laughs> and terrible well, I remember like when we used to have, when I used to like actually do sermons and stuff and like actually talk at churches I never used to get anxious because I was like, oh, I just got to do it. So this has to be done. Like, this is the time. This is the day. But it didn't, it wasn't the, like life giving in that way either. Like, it, I didn't feel really good about what I was doing. It's just like, I have to get this over with. Like a good job. And then, yeah. And mm-hmm. then after I got out of it for a couple of years and went back, I would have incredible anxiety about it. Like, just even getting to the building was like a struggle and being like, I could just not show up and say I'm sick. Or like, <laughs> you know, or like, I can just fake an injury. Um, or something. If I had a dollar for every time I thought that, but uh, <laughs> so if I could just yeah, if I could just say I'm sick and not have to go to this big social thing, but I'm having a bad depression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But recently, I was on a panel discussion at us at um, an Apple Valley High School, and I didn't have any anxiety. But I think the reason I didn't have any anxiety is because I didn't know what I was talking about until after I got there. Nice. Oh, no idea. So you couldn't be like building it up in your head. Yeah, yeah. no idea. So I got there like we're talking, we're talking about food security, and I was like, oh okay. And then I talked to their panelists, and they were like, what are we talking about? And they were all, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you don't know either? Okay. And it made me feel all the same. Kind of, we're all like, oh, yeah. none of us know what we're doing, but we're all panelists. <laughs> oh, nice. and I, I was like, this feels like real life. We should just be honest with each other. <laughs> that was a good panel. This feels you like did real great. Life. At most places when there's a panel discussion, it's fair for anyone to raise their hand and say, I think that guy's talking out of his ass. And I'd probably be like, fair enough. Fair point. (laughs) (laughs) You caught me. (laughs) Red-handed. Yeah, I do this for a living, but still, you're fair. (laughs) But most people wouldn't respond like that, though. They would be like, especially high schoolers. Is is, uh, revolution really, like, time-driven? So it's like, at 9.05, it's starting. No. Well, no. So, no. no. I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, I, feel like, I feel like that would make me anxious. It's loose, loosey goosey. We wait for people to show up. Jill be like, my buddy texted me, so we're going to wait another five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty laid back. Which I think is helpful. Yeah. It's, it's really like, that's, I think that's what's so appealing about it. Like, it's kind of a revolution church, is kind of a micro thing, but like, if you're in the know, with the kind of 
post-Christianity, deconstructionist Christian kind of click, then you know about it. And I think that's what's so appealing about it is because we're still trying to do church there. Yeah. But it sure doesn't look like church. (laughs) Definitely trying. (laughs) Yeah. Keep trying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's... I feel lucky in a lot of ways just to be able to do what I do and do it the way I want to do it and been doing it for 20 some odd years now so and it's sad I mean it's sad and weird because to hear the to hear you guys talk about the churches and the people who are, I mean they're still doing that stuff they're still mm-hmm. you know I mean I'm not in that world anymore so it's like people are just like cool tattoos and, <laughs> and you know and all that stuff and it's like We don't have that, but again, at the same time, I think we're like, it's like, I feel lucky just to be like, oh, okay, well, a few people showed up this week, and we're here, you know? It's not like, it's just different, and it's different when you, when you are able to, I don't know, when you continue to do your work, when you carry your demons with you, and you still say, well, the show's got to go on, mm-hmm. and you continue to do it, right. mm-hmm. and you don't. And there's just no way. I don't have any way to hide them, hide my darkness anymore. You know, it's like I've got medication that I can take, and I take my medication, but it doesn't work like it used to. So now it's still like, all right, well, my show must go on, and it's gonna, it's gonna happen. It's like life just keeps happening. Yeah, life keeps happening. You know, I mean, my, my kids, I take care of my kids. During the week, um, they have daycare, but then I have two days a week with the, both of them, and then one day a week with one of them. And uh, you know, we got to go to the indoor park to play because it snows here, so that's why we have to go to the indoor park. It's spring, and there's a foot and a half outside. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we go to the indoor parks. We go do the stuff. We go eat the snacks. We go to lunch. You know, we raise kids, put them to bed, make dinner. You know. We live Groundhog's Day sometimes. It seems like every day is the same, you know. But uh, I feel like one thing we do that we really like doing. I don't. I wouldn't call it a ministry. We try to always have different people over for dinner a lot. Mm-hmm. Different couples. So like usually once a week we have a different couple over or family or something over for dinner. And but I mean just, your love language. I don't really like using those. <laughs> I mean, they're cheesy. I think they're so cheesy. But. And I think your stops. way of showing people Dr. love and respect <laughs> is serving, like making them food. And, and it's making also them a way to, to like to deal with my own anxiety. Yeah, because cooking calms me down. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like cooking and doing all people are like you worked in the kitchen all day. I'm like yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> no, it's I mean Idle hands. even yeah. like on Saturday when we were snowed in, he made like a pot roast and cookies and and I mean both of us struggle with anxiety and depression and I think well you do like I mean, arts and crafts you know arts and crafts calms me down like one of the most calming things for me so stupid but to make tie blankets hmm. just the repetitive motion that's all the tie blankets yeah. we have all that was all the tie blankets yeah. you can't see but just like the repetitive motion of like cutting <laughs> this is a couch made of tie blankets cutting and you know tying and cutting and tying and cutting you know this right. no, I, I know constantly you. working with mm-hmm. my hands and and then you have something to show for it too. then you have something to show for yes, it and if people up, come over the house and they're cold they can use the tie mm-hmm. blanket and and mine's the chopping and the his is cooking stuff. and mine's arts and crafts and trying to get garlic so thin you can see through it there you go and I mean there's Jeez. no <laughs> without a mandolin which is there's a no joke shame by in the it. way <laughs> <laughs> like chef deep cut there I feel like that would be a joke yeah but like you said it's just like keeping trucking on like some days I just don't even want to get out of bed and you know but if I go to work feed the neighbors come home go back into bed like that's a victory and when I'm laying there in bed depressed I can be like hey you got out of bed today (laughs) you got dressed small victories you got dressed you fed some people now you're back in bed don't feel bad you did the best you could today, and tomorrow we'll just keep it going. Like, and there's victory and power in that. 
Oh, yeah. For sure, totally, yeah. I was actually going to bring something. You, you two did a podcast together, and you were talking about the way you think about yourself, and how would you say that to a friend? Right. And I thought that was really helpful. Like, the way you think about yourself in a negative way. Would you mm-hmm. tell a friend that? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're a lazy piece of shit today. You wouldn't say it to your friend. No. Right. Like, I say it to myself all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't say oh, it yeah. to anybody in my church. Even the people I don't like. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> they will listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, when you said that, that's a, good, that's a really good way to put it. Like, Only don't say anything about yourself you wouldn't say to a friend. <laughs> It's probably me. Statistically, <laughs> statistically speaking, it's probably me. Oh. Caleb's holding up his finger. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. One out of three. Oh. Oh. Statistically speaking. Yeah, Caleb's no, like, this podcast is over. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am God. It's, uh, I can edit it to make it easier. Yeah, I put, it, I put it like a name to those like that voice now, you know, because it was like, saying, you know, oh, you're such a piece of crap, you're such a piece of crap. And I'm like, you know, my therapist was like, would you sit in a room with someone who is telling you that over and over again? I'm like, no. And she's like, okay. She's like, well, maybe you just need to put a name to it. You know, so if... Jerry. Yeah, so if Jerry comes in, you know, (laughs) if you hear that, you go, okay, Jerry, shut up. You know, I'm not going to deal with this, you know, because you wouldn't. I wouldn't, one, I wouldn't say it to anybody that way. And two, I wouldn't tolerate it being said to me like that. But for mm-hmm. some reason, it's a we justify it mm-hmm. in our mind. It's too acceptable to say to yourself that it's yeah. to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But it's self-reinforcing sure. too, and when you start to believe yourself, it's even worse. And it should be, you know. And I'm what I guess what the point I'm finding out is that it should be unacceptable even to ourselves because we're, you know, if I was going to take the basics of the Bible, what I like, you know, love God with all your heart, and equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. That part is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's like, well, I don't have to really love my neighbor because I think I'm a piece of shit. You know what I mean? It's like that. Great, great point. Yeah, that is a really good point. Though. Amen. So, Amen. Yeah. So I've had to really kind of re- reframe it and learn to love myself and treat myself better. You know, because mm-hmm. it's not okay. It's a two way street. It's not okay to treat yourself like a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times your capacity to care for other people is dictated by the equal and opposite yeah like how you see yourself like if you don't have room if you're constantly like suspicious of other people it's probably because you're projecting your own you know knowing how you your full capacity to to care about other people or to to fully invest yourself in somebody else you know it's it's not the self-involved sort of selfish self-love of like I'm better than everybody it's the Right, no, exactly. Just taking care of yourself so you can take care of other people. And being like, hey, man, when you fuck up, it's like you tried your hardest, dude. Or like, if you didn't try your hardest, it's like, hey, try harder next time, bud. Like, Mm -hmm. don't be a dip. You can say don't be a dipshit, like, because I say that to my best friends, you know. (laughs) And that's my language or whatever, but it's like, as long as it's coming from a loving place, I mean... Encouraging pep talk. Yeah. Well, and I feel like... the shit. That's totally my inner monologue. And in honor of my brother and his husband, because we always watch RuPaul's Drag Race on Thursday nights. They're with friends right now, but RuPaul ends every episode with, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Preach. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. And me and my brother and husband go, Amen. It's like our little Thursday pop talk. For sure. It's yeah. true. I think that could actually be a good ending. Yeah. I feel like that too. <laughs> no doubt. I feel like that too. Amen. Amen. If you can't love yourself, ah, ah, how the hell amen. are you going to love somebody else? <laughs> amen. That was a post-Christian podcast.